Hey guys, Dr. Cassie from Vetfolio here. I'm excited to bring you a special COVID-19 podcast on behalf of the NAVC's advocacy platform, Embrace. I first want to introduce you to Brandon Fuller from the Embrace team, who will be speaking with three experts in animal health discussing zoonotic diseases, COVID-19, and how this global pandemic impacts our animals and how the One Health Act can help. Today's special guests include Dr. Jonathan Sleeman, Center Director for the U.S. Geological Survey's National Wildlife Health Center, Dr. Dana Varbel, Chief Veterinary Officer for the North American Veterinary Community, and Mike Bober, President and CEO of PJAC, that's the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council. So please, enjoy this special segment from Embrace. And now I'll hand it over to Brandon. Thank you, Dr. Cassie, and hi, Dr. Sleeman. Thank you for joining us. Uh, to start, would you please give us an overview of zoonotic disease as a whole, discussing COVID-19 and how it became a global pandemic, and share with our listeners from a scientific perspective, public policy solutions that can help in the future? Yeah, sure. No, thank you for having me. So zoonotic diseases can very, very simply be defined as diseases that can transmit from animals to humans. So the classic zoonotic disease is something like rabies. A person becomes infected or exposed to rabies through the bite of an infected animal like a raccoon or a, or a, or a bat. Diseases also that could be transmitted by vectors like mosquitoes can also be considered zoonotic diseases. So for example, West Nile virus, the natural host are songbirds. Then a person becomes exposed to West Nile virus through the bite of a mosquito that had previously fed on a bird. Now, we are seeing an increasing number of zoonotic diseases, um, unfortunately, uh, and the vast majority of those zoonotic diseases have a wildlife origin. And there are a number of different factors or drivers for this. Part of it is, is as the human populations grow and expand, and our agricultural systems grow and expand um, to, to continue to feed the human population, that's bringing us into closer contact with, with, with nature and with wildlife populations increasing the chance for diseases to, to what we call spillover from wildlife into livestock into people. We're also an incre increasingly connected world. Um, you know, the, we move animals and animal products, um, we move wildlife, wildlife and wildlife products, people move across continents, and that's broken down the geographic barriers that used to prevent diseases or, or viruses jumping, jumping from one continent to another. Now, again, unfortunately, uh, over the past several years, we've seen a number of different emerging coronaviruses. So the so one that most people are probably most familiar with was in 2003, it was an outbreak of, of SARS or, or, or sudden acute respiratory syndrome that was caused by coronavirus. Uh, we believe it um, originated um, from a bat virus that, that would then infected civets at a wet market in China then would then um, spilled over into, into people. Um, these viruses, um, coronaviruses, there's about 500 different strains of coronaviruses. They mutate fairly easily. And when they jump from one species to another, they can gain different characteristics. So what happens is when these viruses transmit from bats into another species and then into people, they'll often mutate and, and develop characteristics that allow them to transmit easily from person to person. And once that happens, it becomes a new virus, becomes a human virus, and then can spread very rapidly across the world. So with the current outbreak of, 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 um, uh, of COVID-19, um, it's caused by a virus that's very like the SARS virus. It's called, called SARS-CoV-2. Um, the exact origin of this virus is, is unknown, 
but it's most closely related to viruses that are found in horseshoe bats in China. Um, and the origin of the outbreak does appear to be linked to a, to a wet market where wildlife and other food products and live animals are sold. So, so it seems to be very much a similar situation as we experienced uh, several years ago with SARS with this current outbreak. Um, this virus has now become a human virus and, and, it, and it appears to be very easily tra transmitted from person to person. And as I mentioned earlier, because we um, are a very mobile population now, a very mobile species, these viruses then can um, move across the globe very quickly as people move, as products move. Now, um, in terms of what we can do to, to address uh, uh, this disease, I think that's where the One Health concept can be very helpful to help us look at um, new solutions to some of these uh, very challenging problems. Clearly in the current outbreak, uh, treatments to treat people that are sick, vaccines to prevent further transmission are extremely important. But we need to start looking at the root causes of these problems and, and what are the environmental and socioeconomic drivers of, of these um, pandemic outbreaks. And, and clearly we need to look at uh, the wildlife trade and the marketing of wildlife. Now wildlife do provide an important source of protein uh, for, for communities that don't have other ways to access protein. Um, and they also provide very important economic opportunities. But I think we can, need to look at what are the potential risks from the trade in wildlife and the consumption of wildlife, and do those risks outweigh any potential economic benefits? And I think we need to look scientifically at conducting some risk assessments. And there may be certain species like rodents, bats, and primates that are known to carry a lot of zoonotic viruses that perhaps we should look at no longer uh, consuming. We need to look at ways that we can provide some scientific standards regarding the, 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 the trade, transport, and marketing of wildlife and wildlife products. We need to look at uh, increasing or improving our surveillance for diseases in wildlife populations so we can get a better understanding of um, the potential risks, what viruses are out there, what measures we can do to, to, to prevent spillover in the first place. And then there's some, some very practical things like sanitation in, in, in marketplaces, surveillance in marketplaces, regulation of these markets that really are all, all measures that I think that can be considered. Um, this obviously, these actions obviously aren't going to prevent and control the current outbreak, they, but they could, they could really help and prevent future outbreaks, as well as allow economic activities to continue to flourish. Um, oh, and, and I think, you know, obviously, by doing, taking these actions and taking a One Health approach, not only will we, will we, will we you know, protecting public health and, and preventing future pandemics, but also these actions will be very helpful in terms of improving wildlife conservation, um, as well as improving animal welfare. A question we received from an Embrace advocate is whether the original transmission of the virus from animal to human means that humans can also pass COVID-19 onto their companion animals, pets. Um, so could you just make a line of distinction between the cause of zoonotic illness and companion animals so as not to create panic with the general population? Yeah, sure. Now, that's a very good question. So, so once this virus um, moves or, or spills over from wildlife into people, that virus then uh, undergoes changes or mutations. And right now, the, 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 the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the cause of COVID-19, um, is a human virus. It, it transmits very easily from person to person, 
but um, we don't believe it, it can transmit easily to, to, to common pets like dogs or cats. Although the risks are somewhat unknown regarding other species, and, and there's a lot of research looking in, in, into, um, into um, the potential risks of transmission from people to other animals, the CDC right now, the recommendation is, or the advice is, it does not appear to be uh, easily transmitted to pets. There have been a couple of potential cases in, 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 uh, in Hong Kong, but, but really it does not appear to be infectious to dogs or cats. I think I will also add that in this current environment of, of sheltering in place and self-isolation, the companionship that pets provide, I think is gonna be more important than ever to help us through this, these challenging times. Thank you, Dr. Sleeman. That is extremely valuable information. And next, we're going to hear from Dr. Dana Barbel, Chief Veterinary Officer from the NABC. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Barbel, to discuss what all this means for our pets. From your perspective, what should people be thinking about with regard to their pets and keeping them safe during this COVID-19 outbreak? And furthermore, what impact does this pandemic have on veterinary medicine? Well, Brendan, thank you so much for having me today. I'm actually going to bring you a lot of good news. So there's absolutely no reason to think that our pets can transmit this coronavirus to people. There's been no pets that have been symptomatic from it. And from what we're hearing from experts, there's a very, very little chance that the pets could also carry the virus on their fur and transmit that to us. So as long as we're practicing normal, good hygiene around our pets, uh, we should be good, which we should be safe. That's to say that if you're working with your pet, if you're paneling your pet, you're hugging your pet, even just petting your cat or dog, you should always wash your hands afterwards. And that's less for this virus than unfortunately other zoonotic diseases, bacteria and parasites that our pets could be carrying on their body that there's a chance that they could give to us. Again, those chances aren't high and with good hygiene, hand washing, we should be all right. The other thing we really want to avoid with our pets, and unfortunately this is kind of across the board, is I know we have a tendency to allow our pets to lick our faces. While it's really cute, it's actually a really bad hygiene practice, and we should avoid that, again, across the board, not just because of this disease outbreak. In fact, what we're hearing from out there in the world is that um, one of our reference laboratories has tested thousands of dogs and thousands of cats, and none of them have tested positive for coronavirus, So, or rather for this coronavirus. So again, we're in very safe place. Really, the thing that we need to be thinking about with our pets right now is we need to think about them and disaster preparedness in the sense that if we were to become ill or if we were ha to have to give our pet to a family member to care for because we had to go to the hospital or we had to be in quarantine or separated from our pet, do we have all the things that we would need for our pet in that case? So the things that I think of in that example are, do we have two weeks worth of food? Do we have two weeks worth of medications? Do you have a copy of their vaccination and veterinary records in case those were to be needed in an emergency? Do we have, you know, just a list of general pet sitting or pet care instructions for someone that had to take over the care of your pet? Those types of things we are things we maybe aren't thinking about, but we should actually always have prepared for our pet, just in case something were to come up with our with ourselves. 
If you have questions, the CDC has a great website um, that includes pets in your, in your preparedness discussions. So that's really important. For veterinary medicine, things have changed quite a bit over the last two weeks, and we expect them to change even more in the near future. First of all, the good news is that veterinary clinics, whether they're emergency clinics or general practices, have for the most part been determined to be an essential function. So as states and other municipalities are issuing stay-at-home orders or restricting businesses from being open, generally veterinary clinics are um, excused from that because what we're seeing is that our governments are recognizing that animal health plays a very important role in public health and that veterinarians need to be able to provide for animals to keep not only animals safe but to keep humans safe. Now what we're seeing in veterinary clinics and veterinary hospitals has certainly changed. Veterinarians across the country are doing their part to conserve personal protective equipment like masks and isolation gowns and often delaying elective and wellness procedures whenever possible. Again, taking into account that things like emergencies happen, that animal welfare, of course, has to come first, and that public health can be served sometimes in, in some of these functions. For example, I had a great discussion today with someone about our rabies vaccinations part of public health, and they truly are. That and other zoonotic diseases that veterinarians treat and vaccinate for, it's important to still prevent those diseases in our animals because it prevents those diseases in people. And the last thing we need during a medical crisis is people getting sick from their pets, not from coronavirus in this case, but from other preventable diseases. A lot of veterinarians have changed the way we see pets so that they can protect their staff. Many have gone to curbside service or a low contact service where the pet is basically picked up by a staff member so that that staff member has little or no contact with the other human. Because again, remembering human to human transmission is gonna be the main way this coronavirus is spread. So we're really trying to minimize human to human contact. It not only protects our, our staff, but our clients. And the safety of team members is really important at this time because if we get a large number of our team sick, we're gonna be limited as to what service we can provide. Another thing I've seen a veterinary clinics do is go to rotating shifts where they have a group, a veterinarian, a group of, of skilled staff, a group of client service professionals that are working together for certain maybe two or three days and then are off. And then a different group are working for two or three days and then are off. And the idea then is to that hopefully we're protecting each other, again, just minimizing the number of people that we come into contact with so that, again, to halt the spread of coronavirus and protect our staff. Um, another thought there is that we're just trying to flatten that curve again and decrease the number of people that are infected at one time. 
We are definitely seeing some effects in veterinary medicine in the sense that some of our staff members are affected by their need for more child care or have even been quarantined or immune suppressed and need to take care of themselves. So some of those services going to essential services only, going to curbside pickup, going to rotating shifts are also helping to alleviate some of that work stress on the entire team. And that's been really helpful for many, many facilities right now. Another big change we're seeing in veterinary medicine is we're seeing increased utilization of telemedicine, including some states even relaxing or basically suspending their restrictions on telemedicine to help, again, reduce the person-to-person -person contact right now and really allowing veterinarians to utilize things like video conferencing and phone calls to make recommendations and diagnoses that previously they were unable to. So that's been a really big trend and a really big change, and we're still trying to kind of find our way through it. To support that, we're seeing new, basically new restrictions lifted from the FDA, um, allowing telemedicine to really be utilized with extra label drug use. And that's been really important because again, remembering that most of the drugs we use in veterinary medicine are extra label, really getting the FDA okay on that has been immensely helpful. Granted, we're all still restricted by our state mandates and our state laws, but all of those things have been really helpful in getting veterinarians basically to be able to contribute to public health at this time and still take care of our animals. Thank you. That's great. I actually have a two-part follow-up question for you. First, we have seen a ton of questions regarding what kinds of activities people can do while they and their pets are being encouraged to stay home and away from other people. And second, how can pet owners support their pets while maintaining a safe social distance? Those are great questions. And if anything, you know, the bond between human and animals is more important than ever. We know that science tells us that having pets reduces stress, reduces anxiety, lowers blood pressure. So it's time for us to lean on our pets and for our pets to lean on us to, to kind of manage all of the changes that we're experiencing. So first and foremost, again, no kissing faces and good hygiene around our pets is just as important as it's always been. Second, there's lots of activities that we can do with our pets that are good for them and good for us. I'm seeing a lot of people take their dogs for longer or more frequent walks, and that's very safe. Remember that as long as you're maintaining your six-foot distance from another person, you should be in great shape. And again, if that means your pet stays away from other dogs, to be super safe, that's fine at this time. I'm seeing most people accept that basically we're all keeping our distance when we're out for our walks and there's a lot less pressure for dogs to have interactions with other dogs. So in many ways, walking dogs has never been more peaceful and easier for us. Um, also, it's a great time to refresh some training and obedience skills. If you have a middle-aged or older dog, maybe you haven't been to obedience in a while, or even a younger dog that you just maybe haven't kept up with things, take 
15, 20 minutes and go out in the yard or go for a short walk, bring that bag of treats that you used to use in obedience class and go through your training tricks again. Do sits and stays and, you know, walking on, on command and walking in a heel position. Just because that's a great interaction for them, it really uses a lot more of their brain than we realize, keeps them happier and healthier. And again, it's just a great little activity for us. Also, this is a really fun thing I've been seeing on social media and out there lately is there's a lot of people participating in craft projects. And luckily we can use online ordering to get some of those craft supplies. But now's the time when you could do things like make new cat toys or you know, make a, a poster of your dog or just those fun things that, again, really solidify your human-animal bond, help keep you calmer, help keep your pet healthy, and really help us all get through this. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Barbell, and for the incredible insight. Our third and final speaker today is Mike Bober, President and CEO of the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council, and he will be speaking with us on the One Health Act. Hi, Mike. Uh, could you please give us an overview of whether Congress recognizes that this is a zoonotic outbreak? And the One Health Act, it's, it's a piece of legislation that seems tailor-made for these kinds of situations. Could you give us a quick summary on that bill and its chances for becoming law given the current situation? Sure, thanks, Brandon. Um, we at, at PJAC, uh, the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council, uh, look at, at zoonotic diseases on a, on a daily basis and, and work with the Centers for Disease Control and others uh, to try to, to help increase education and awareness, uh, both among those in the pet care community uh, and also with uh, pet owners across the country. Uh, to that end, uh, the work that we're doing on, on COVID-19 uh, really is right up that alley. Um, unfortunately, you know, coronaviruses are, are viruses that have uh, animal origins in general. Uh, they are natural, naturally occurring. And uh, in this case, thankfully, uh, what we're seeing from CDC's guidance and others is that uh, the, the incidence of, of both transmission and, and carrying in pet animals uh, hasn't come across as, as being an area of particular concern. Uh, that's a great thing for us, and it's something that we've been working really hard to try to get the information out about, uh, because we know there's a lot of uncertainty and, and concern uh, that people's pets, uh, which we know to be a, a tremendous source of comfort in this uh, trying time of, of social distancing, uh, the concern there was that, that potentially they might actually be uh, a threat to people's health. I'm happy to say that uh, so far everything we're seeing from the CDC and others is that they're not. The, the One Health Act, uh, House Resolution 3771, uh, would absolutely be uh, a great uh, way for Congress to be able to address issues like this. Uh, Congressman Schrader and Congressman Yoho, uh, two animal veterinarians in the, the Congress, uh, introduced this bill in the middle of last year. Uh, the goal of the One Health Act is to create an interagency One Health program uh, modeled on the, uh, the One Health program that the Centers for Disease Control use to, uh, to promote the linkages and the important interaction of human health, animal health, and, and the health of the environment. Uh, what we have seen so far in Congress uh, is that while there's certainly a lot of effort and energy being put into uh, doing what we can to protect human health, 
and also to, to mitigate the negative impacts of, of the, the various uh, shutdowns and closures that are happening, uh, so far there hasn't been a lot of conversation that's moved past that to the, the, the bigger picture issues here. Uh, and One Health would certainly be one of those. Uh, I do hope, and I'm, I'm a little bit optimistic, that as we, we move away from the immediate response to the, the long-term response, that uh, Dr. Schrader's bill is absolutely going to be something that gets a lot more attention. Uh, and we at PJAC, and I know NABC and others have been working really hard to, to draw attention to it, really going all the way back to last summer when it was introduced. Uh, so far, the bill, I believe, only has about nine co-sponsors, uh, but as things uh, settle down and as, as we look, look ahead to additional work with Congress, uh, we'll be reaching out to Dr. Schrader and Dr. Yoho to see what we can do to help them uh, better call attention to this. Uh, we at PJAC have a, a memorandum of understanding with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, in which we work to uh, get messaging out when it needs to, uh, to the, the healthcare community, uh, to the pet care community, and to the pet public. And so uh, to the extent that we can share our experiences of the positive uh, effects that a One Health approach has, uh, we're absolutely happy to be out there being that, uh, that messenger. Thank you, Mike. And now we have a question from one of our listeners. What can we as citizens and advocates do to support the One Health Act and is there a role that citizens play in getting elected leaders to focus on these important issues? That's a great question. And it's actually at the, the heart of, uh, of what we at PJAC and other uh, advocacy organizations do. Uh, our goal really is to, to connect individuals like yourself uh, with lawmakers uh, across the country, both their own and, and leaders. Uh, in a case like this, the best thing that a, uh, an individual can do is to reach out to their own uh, congressmen, uh, congress members, and senators, and and ask them uh, specifically: uh, Are they currently co-sponsors of HR 3771, uh, the One Health Act? Uh, if they're not, encourage them to become co-sponsors. Uh, and if they need more information, encourage them to reach out to Dr. Schrader and Yoho for more information. Uh, again, the uh, the real thrust of this is contact your own elected officials, ask them to support HR 3771, the One Health Act, uh, and if they are already co-sponsors, thank them for doing so. Uh, there are a number of resources online where people can determine whether their, their elected officials are already co-sponsors. Uh, the easiest one and, and the most official is to go to congress.gov, congress.gov, and when you go there, you can actually uh, look at uh, at the very top of the page, there's a, uh, a search bar where you can look for current legislation. You type in HR 3771, and it takes you to uh, the very first thing there is the, uh, the HR 3771 bill page. You click on that, and you can get all of the details, including the text of the bill. Uh, actions at this point, the only action that's taken place really is the, uh, the introduction of the bill. Uh, and then you can also click across, there's a tab where you can see who the co-sponsors are. Uh, Dr. Schrader and Dr. Yoho were the original co-sponsors who put the bill out. Uh, however, they've got uh, seven other members who have uh, supported beyond them. Dr. Cassie here again, and I'd like to extend a huge thank you to each of our guests for joining us today, as well as Brandon from NABC Embrace for leading the discussion. 
As we all learn to adopt a new normal with our work routines amid the COVID-19 outbreak, we hope to bring you more content along these lines. So please let us know what you'd like to hear in the comments below. As a community, we need your voice to be heard so together we can make a difference. Please visit navc.com embrace to become an advocate and support the One Health Act today. And as always, visit us on vetfolio.com for all of your veterinary education needs. Guys, just one quick thing as we close here. We want to make sure we note that participation in this podcast does not indicate support for any particular legislation. This is a rapidly evolving situation, and we recommend that you regularly check the CDC's website for up-to-date advice on COVID-19 and animals. Bye now, everyone. Stay healthy.